Trinity Baptist Church. Good morning. Once I spent a lot of time comparing myself to others, I was raised by a loving mother, strong, and one who was committed to Christ. She was, however, very vocal in her opinions, opinions about how I should carry myself, and oftentimes making comparisons to others we knew. I spent some years making choices based on other people's approval. While at the same time, I grew up in a home full of laughter, hospitality, and lots of singing. My mother set me on the path to the Savior, and he found me there. He spoke to me and said that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I no longer need to seek other people's approval. He freed me to be me. My name is Rebecca Ramirez, and I am new. <laughs> Scripture reading. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had continued with them in, and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went to Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they knew that, he, that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people in Jerusalem to obey. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's uh, good to be back. Um, I'm not sure how Keith and James can preach back to back to back. Um, it's pretty amazing. Um, <clears throat> my name is Tim. I'm one of the elders here at Trinity. Um, I want to thank all of you who uh, gave me feedback on last week's sermon. And, you know, preparing that uh, for me was a bit of a wrestling match uh, with the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, it was a process for me to get into the place where, where I could be obedient, where God wanted me. And I appreciate that, that many of you were praying for me, and uh, your support is really humbling. So we are um, in the middle of this Relate series where we're gaining wisdom uh, from relationships in the Bible so we can do better in our relationships. And we will talk about the body of Christ more today, but it turns out there is more to the body of Christ than sex. Um, in, in, the, in the middle of the Bible, we find what we call the wisdom books. Uh, there are Psalms, Proverbs, 
Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon. We looked at Song of Solomon last week. Psalms is an, an anthology of worship poetry. Um, Ecclesiastes is also attributed to Solomon, and it's a reflection at the end of his life. Uh, so where Psalms is the book on worship, and Ecclesiastes is the book on life, uh, and Song of Solomon is the book of love, um, I'm proposing to you that Proverbs is the book of mentoring. Uh, the book starts like this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. Now, I've always wondered for a long time now where Solomon got the wisdom to ask God for wisdom. Right? He had to ask God for wisdom, and God was really pleased with him. Um, you know, I suspect that he got some of this wisdom to ask God for wisdom uh, from growing up in the palace. His father, King David, was known for his great capabilities and achievements, um, for his faith and courage on the battlefield, for um, being an excellent musician and lyricist. Um, he could have taught that songwriting workshop we're going to be doing later in the week. And, and David uh, was known as a great worshiper. So my theory is that even though David was courageous on the battlefield and he was bold in his worship, he was not at all strong when it came to disciplining his children. Amnon thought he could rape his half-sister. David knew that his son Absalom was undermining him but David did not lay down the proper consequences for his son's rebellious behavior. Absalom's younger brother, Adonijah, rose up against David as well, and he tried to wrest the throne from Solomon. And Absalom, he was able to turn many people of Israel against David. Adonijah was also able to win many to his side. And this time, he even turned David's commander-in-chief and a senior priest against David. And Joab, the commander, and Abiathar, the priest, they were loyal to David when Absalom was trying his coup. So I think that these strong and these once loyal men to David eventually saw that David wasn't able to manage his household very well, the way he managed his troops in war. So once the peacetime came, they looked for the best ways to take care of their individual families. And after David passed away, they thought that Adonijah would be the better successor. And the most bothersome thing to me about David is he slept with the wife of one of his elite soldiers. Solomon's mother Bathsheba was once Uriah's wife before David took her away. Uriah was so loyal to his fellow soldiers that when David gave him leave and got him drunk, to cover up his affair with Bathsheba, Uriah would not go home and rest in the comfort of his own bed in the arms of his beautiful wife. His comrades were all at war, so Uriah ends up sleeping outside the palace steps, ever the soldier 
on watch for his king and his country. So David sends Uriah back to the front with written orders. Uriah is carrying these written orders to send him out to battle at the very point of attack and then to withdraw all support from Uriah so he would be cut down by the enemy. David slept with the man serving under him, with, with the wife of the man serving under him, and he murdered him. So, you know, right about now I feel like I need a quick shower because this is really dirty stuff. So, you know, Solomon may have thought, growing up with all of this, for such a great man, you know, dad is kind of dumb sometimes. His brothers thought they could get away with rape and murder. You know, when Solomon was writing these Proverbs, he may have reminisced about the craziness of his brothers, and he was trying to advise his sons and and future leaders, even after he was dead and gone. So I believe Solomon wrote this book of Proverbs in part to mentor people. So now I want to ask us, is our church in better shape than David's family? We're not at war. No one's getting killed here. We are actually the poster of the nice non-confrontational church. David was nice and non-confrontational to his sons. Does that mean that we are avoiding those tough conversations that David was avoiding? What do we think our church is called to? I think we are called to be more like Uriah, to fight with honor for our king. And when I say fight, I'm not talking about violence. It's more about fighting the way a white blood cell fights infection. David avoided fighting the infections that infested his family. Maybe he thought, you know, if I don't confront things, I'll avoid the shedding of blood, and I'll actually save my sons. But the opposite happened. Absalom killed Amnon. Joab killed Absalom. And eventually Solomon executed Joab and Adonijah. You know, we just sang just a few minutes ago, um, we have this one heart, one voice, one sacrifice, and that all of this would go to glorify God. But is that what other people see in us? Is that what the younger generation coming after us sees in us? You know, I confess that no one sees it in me consistently. I can sing the words, but living it consistently is very, very hard for me. I need good and wise people talking to me about how I live and how I make decisions, how I do business and how I serve in ministry. And when I look at myself, I don't always see Uriah. I need other people in my church, that's all of you, to help me become more like Uriah, to help me become more like Christ. So what is this kind of help called? Uh, One word is mentoring. I admit mentoring is one of those words that sounds really good, but people don't really agree on what it means. So I'm going to connect this word mentoring to Jesus' great commission when he told us to make disciples. After his resurrection, just before Jesus returns to heaven, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We find this at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to us. He's talking to his church. And last week we talked about the body of Christ. 
Um, I'm going to do a little bit more biology. Okay? Um, our bodies are comprised of somewhere between 20 and 70 trillion cells. Um, that seems like a pretty big range, right? Uh, Jesus says the Father knows how many hairs are on our head, but all of our scientific brilliance can't get us to even the nearest 10 trillion cells yet uh, when we try to count. Now, each type of cell has different lifespans. Red blood cells live for a few months. White blood cells live for about a year. Skin cells live for only a few weeks. On the other hand, brain cells, they last your entire lifetime. Uh, female egg cells are not replaced either. Uh, sperm cells take several weeks to manufacture, but you know, once they go out on their mission field, they only live for a few days. And this is in ideal conditions. Um, my two younger kids, uh, they're 10 and 5, they love these books called Weird But True. And they're filled with outrageous facts, and you know, we'll be eating breakfast on the weekends, and one of the kids will be reading the book, and they'll say something like, Dad, for $25, you can order a jar of human toenails. Or, um, Dad, did you know the ancient Romans rubbed crocodile dung on their skin to make it softer? Or, Dad, did you know that white-faced capuchin monkeys greet each other by sticking their fingers up each other's noses? So, you know, in preparing for the sermon, you know, I could fire back at the kids and say, kids, did you know that we shed two pounds of dead skin cells every year? And that, you know, every room in the house usually generates about seven pounds of dust. Five to six pounds of that is human skin cells. So, yeah. So our bodies are making new skin all the time. We, we, we make about 10 new skin cells a second. So when Solomon wrote ashes to ashes and dust to dust in Ecclesiastes, I don't know if he even realized just how true that was. Jesus tells us to make new disciples. It's like making new cells. Now, the key to producing healthy cells is to have the right information. Our DNA, it's a little bit like uh, bits of information, uh, where we have about three billion distinct chemical pairs. Uh, to make an analogy, our DNA, your DNA, is like the cookbook of your body. And each recipe in that book is a gene. And each little uh, protein pair or base are the bits that make up the letters to each recipe. So our bodies make billions of new cells every day. And each one of these cells represents a successful copy of our DNA. So what does this body of Christ need to do to keep regenerating? We need to pass good copies of his DNA from cell to cell. Otherwise, the body stops working. It shuts down. Cancer is the rapid growth of abnormal cells where something has changed in the DNA. Remember, Jesus says to make disciples, teaching them to obey everything he's commanded. Jesus also says in John 14, uh, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in his name, he will teach you all things and bring your, to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's good DNA. Paul also teaches this in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, when the DNA code in a cell gets messed up, that's called mutation. Mutations are either passed from parent cells or they occur from the environment. You know, the Bible, it's not scientific literature, but it's interesting to me how it talks about sin being passed from generation to generation. 
well before anyone on earth discovered mutation. We find this concept of intergenerational sin in Exodus 20, uh, in the Ten Commandments, actually. So we may see cancer cured in our lifetimes, and we may not. But either way, we can be part of an either, even greater eternal cure. We can take the abnormal DNA of the church, which each of us brings into the church because we're all sinners, and we can strive to match our DNA to Jesus' DNA. So in this framework that I'm describing, each one of us is a cell. We're called by Christ to make disciples. We are parent cells making new cells, which we do by passing good copies of the church's DNA. The human body was formed in the image of God, and the church is like that body, but we've got these mutations, whether they're passed down to us, some all the way um, back to Adam and Eve, or, you know, sometimes maybe we voluntarily expose ourselves to bad stuff. Let's call it satanic radiation. Or uh, we were victims of others, other people's sin, and that distorted our code. So Jesus, you know, he claims to be the way, the truth, and the life, and we now need to reverse the mutations that have piled up in the DNA of the church. So I spent time looking for a good word that means reverse mutation. Um, I couldn't find anything, though. Um, are there any biologists, scientists, doctors who know if there's a good term for this, for reversing mutation? Um, I saw Dwayne Smith here, but I think he might be with our kids. Okay, I was going to ask him. All right. So I was going to propose a new word, um, re-originate. Uh, and that means the redemptive, of transform- uh, the redemptive transformation of mutated DNA back to the original code. Now, Jesus shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. And we all know that blood is life-giving. Red blood cells carry oxygen to every cell that needs it. And red blood cells also carry the toxins away from the cells. Uh, Jesus carries life to each one of us. And he takes away sin and death. So he's like the red blood cells. We are like the white blood cells. We need to do our job alongside of Jesus, his work of salvation, protecting the body from infections and from foreign invaders so that the body can do what it's meant to do. We don't give eternal life. We don't take sin away. That's God's job, and he's doing that. So he's given us a job to bring the gospel to everyone and to make disciples, to fight the infections of a mutant world, to understand Jesus' perfect genetic code, and to re-originate the DNA of the church as we regenerate these new cells, these new disciples. So when was the last time you spoke to somebody and told them about Jesus' love. You know, I know that's actually pretty tricky to do, especially in this town. But, you know, it might not be that heavy, awkward thing that we make it sometimes. We share other truth that makes people's lives better, like, um, hey, try this restaurant, or read this book. Oh, go watch that movie, or, or buy this product. Now, none of this is offensive. We don't say, eat here, read this, watch that, buy this, or else you'll surely die. We don't say that. We say, um, you know, we say, hey, you know, I ate here, or um, I read this, or I watched that, and I bought this, and it changed my life. And that's kind of how we can talk about Jesus' love. God has given each of us a platform. So when was the last time you talked to somebody about your faith? you know, for the first time, uh, so that it could lead to other conversations. 
This is what Jesus commanded us to do. And we need to be able to teach the next generation how to do it. So we better practice doing it ourselves. You know, a couple of years ago, I was um, in this work meeting. Uh, there were about 20 of us in the boardroom. Uh, the business heads were there, chief financial officer, uh, the head lawyer, the head of sales, uh, the heads of risk management and operations and investor relations. And uh, my boss was complaining about how long something was taking to get done. And he says, Jesus Christ will come back before we get to see this thing done. And, uh, you know, I was there and I, I said, you know, funny you should say that. <laughs> because I'm actually going to be talking about this at my church this Sunday. And all of you are invited. And then um, everyone's sitting there, not sure how to <laughs> respond, right? Um, but, you know, I smiled, and, and we got on with our, with our meeting, with our, with our agenda. Um, so, you know, opportunities, they actually abound everywhere. But it's up to us to seize them. So how did you learn about Jesus? There are several people who probably shared him with you. Someone in your family, a friend, a minister, a church volunteer. Someone on, on the TV or internet or radio. But somebody planted a seed in your heart. And someone else eventually came along and watered that seed. And we all need to share him the way people shared him with us. Uh, some of us here, we're in a season of life where we could really use a mentor. We may have a good mentor for you right here at Trinity. A great example of finding a mentor is from the book of Ruth. So Ruth marries Naomi's son, and then both their husbands die. Ruth said to, uh, Naomi says to Ruth, I'm going back to where I grew up. I have some family there, and I have nothing to give you. You are still young, so you should go back to where you grew up and get remarried. But Ruth was loyal to Naomi, loyal like Uriah. Ruth thought a life with Naomi would be so much better than a life apart from her. You know, if Naomi was a horrible person or even just an annoying mother-in-law, I think that Ruth would have left. But we see that Naomi, who has lost everything now, she's putting the interests of Ruth over her own interests. And in turn, Ruth does the same. So, you know, I'd like all of you to do something very old-fashioned for this last part of the service. Um, I'd like you to take a few notes. You can grab the pencil in front of you uh, uh, in the pew, or you can write yourself an email, or you can use an app from the smartphone. Um, I'm a big Evernote fan, okay? Now, no one will need to see this note except you, okay? Um, but I'm going to encourage you to just write a few things down, okay? When you meet God at the end of your life, what you do with these notes may help you hear him say one day, well done, good and faithful servant. You made some disciples, okay? Now, I'm not asking you to do something hard like Timothy and get circumcised. I'm, I'm just asking you to take a couple of notes, okay? If you're new to the faith or, you know, you really haven't gotten in a groove in exercising your spiritual gifts, you know, I'd like you to write this first heading called Potential Mentors, Potential Mentors. And under this heading, I'd like you to think about people in your life you know, two or three maybe candidates that you think might be a good mentor for you. Someone like Naomi for Ruth. And this week, I'd like you to actually reach out to them 
have a conversation with them. Send them an email. And explore whether they might think about mentoring you. Now, not everyone may have time in this season, um, and they might not be the right fit, but if you're new to the faith or you're not really exercising your gifts yet, then take a step each week and find that mentor. Don't quit until you found one. And, you know, try to spend six months with meeting with this person regularly. It could be just a monthly meeting. It could be a weekly call, uh, something after work. And it's not enough just to be mentored. You actually need to work towards making disciples, mentoring others. So you're seeking mentorship for yourself so you can learn how to mentor others better. You want to be able to make disciples and pass good DNA to the next generation of the church. So I'm going to ask you to pursue three types of relationships uh, where you're mentoring someone, um, each of these relationships with someone in our church. Okay, you could have them with folks outside Trinity. That's great too. Okay, the first type is the older, younger mentor relationship. So I'd like you to write as the next heading, older slash younger. Okay, and this difference could be a difference of age, of experience, uh, of spiritual maturity. Uh, Proverbs 22 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And Psalm 145 says, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Paul writes Titus in chapter 2 of that letter, old women, older women need to mentor the younger women, and Titus, you need to mentor the younger men. So take a minute just to think of three people in your life who are younger, at Trinity, in the city, write their names down. And this week, I'd actually like you to contact one of them and see if they might be interested in meeting regularly with you to work on spiritual maturity and bringing their gifts into the ministry. You don't have to meet forever, maybe just for 2015, see what happens. Meet monthly, do a weekly call. And if you're having trouble coming up with three names, then I want you to write one of these three names down. Okay, James Leonard, Cindy Polica, Francisco Roliz. If you have one of these bulletins, they're actually, uh, you can see how to spell their names in this lower corner here under ministry staff. Okay, James, he's our associate pastor. You saw him early. He's, uh, he's very good with the mics fading in and out. Among other things, James quarterbacks our small group ministry. It'd be great for some of you to talk with James and either lead or host a small group discussion this fall. By doing this, you can begin to mentor a group in September and October, and that could lead to a mentoring relationship afterwards. Uh, Cindy, she is our director of children's ministries, and I think that we have the best children's ministry in the city. And, and you know, if you don't have much experience mentoring, you can start with our kids. The first mentoring I ever did here was with Bright Beginnings, the four- and five-year-olds. And I did it for a whole summer. It was a great experience for me and my wife. We showed up regularly for several Sundays with just a little bit of preparation. And we could really open the eyes and ears of these children to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus. If you get involved in children's ministry, you could have kids everywhere thanking God for you. And that sounds like an adventure that will end with, well done, good and faithful servant. 
Francisco, he's the director of our youth ministries. He's done a great job since he joined us. And, you know, I'm so impressed with the volunteer leaders who've joined him. Uh, we have Jonathan, Janet, Chiho, and Yolana, and they're amazing leaders and examples of what it is to live a life of faith. Francisco has even integrated some of the great uh, worship artists that we have in our community to minister with our youth. You know, all of these kids, we have, it rounds up to 100. We have a lot of kids here, and they could really benefit from your wisdom and your experience and watching how you use your spiritual gifts. So write down the names of some younger people in your life under the heading of older slash younger. And if you need another name or two, then write down James or Cindy or Francisco. And if you haven't met any of them yet, ask one of our volunteers, our leaders here, to introduce you to them. Do, do it today. So you should have one or two headings in these notes now, potential mentors, older slash younger, uh, a few names under each. The third heading I'm asking you to write down is future leaders. Future leaders. When the early church in Acts had a terrible division arise among them, what did the church do? The elders told the men and the women of the congregation, find seven men full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this over to them. And they found these seven leaders who were able to turn the situation around so well that even more people were inspired to follow Jesus. Look around you. Who are some up-and-coming believers that you know who might not be leaders yet, but you're noticing that they're walking with the Spirit and they have special wisdom? You can talk to them and encourage them to continue to grow in the Lord, to take leadership and opportunities in the church. And, you know, someday down the road, you could nominate them to be a deacon or a trustee in our church. For the fourth and last heading, I'd like you to write down advise. Advise. You know, leaders in our church, uh, we need good advice once in a while. Now, a few of you are not shy about providing it. Uh, every leader here has their areas of gifting, and we all have our blind spots, too. Esther, from the Bible, she had to risk her life to point out a few things to King Artaxerxes, her husband. But she ended up saving all of God's people exiled there in Persia. But first, her uncle Mordecai had to kick her in the pants. Um, there's another um, anecdote. Uh, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. Uh, the, the, the Israelites have come out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. Jethro pays Moses a visit. And he's watching him. And the whole nation is lining up. And they're coming to him with all their problems and things. And he says to Moses, son, you're going to burn out. Delegate the responsibility about hearing about injustice and resolving conflicts. Delegate some of that to others and trust them to get a lot of this done. You can still hear the difficult cases yourself, but you cannot do this alone. You need to do the work of organizational leadership. You need to delegate. And, you know, we leaders here at Trinity, we need you to pray for us on this too because we want to get better in our organizational leadership and our management. Uh, we, we want to build those skills here at Trinity among, among the leadership. And it wasn't easy for Moses, and it's turning out not to be easy for us either. So pray for us. And write down those two or three names of leaders of Trinity that you know. 
pray for them. And if you see something that one of these leaders might be missing, uh, prayerfully and gently and respectfully, point it out to them. God can use you as a very constructive influence to help us correct some of the church's mutations and pass a more reoriginated copy of our DNA to the next generation. So one of the best examples we have of all three types of mentoring, the older slash younger, the future leaders, and the advice part of mentoring, is this relationship between Paul and Timothy. From Rebecca's scripture reading, we learn that Paul and Barnabas have had a serious disagreement. It was actually a fight over a mentee, the one they call John Mark. He had quit on them during the previous mission trip. So Paul and Barnabas, you know, they've had this very long and successful relationship up till now. Paul was once uh, the chief persecutor of the church. He was literally licensed to kill Christians. Then Jesus met him. Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus. And after that meeting, Paul baffles the Jews of Damascus because he starts convincing people that Jesus really is the Messiah. So, like in Jerusalem, the Jews of Damascus start plotting to kill him. They do not like this message. The Damascus believers, they they sneak Paul out of Damascus and they send him to Jerusalem. So Paul now tries to join the Christians in Jerusalem where he was doing all the plotting and persecuting and killing. Um, But the apostles are afraid of Paul. They had gone underground after Stephen was stoned to death for preaching the gospel. But Barnabas steps up and he brings Paul to the apostles and he vouches for Paul. And later, some of the believers who had left Jerusalem, we found out that they're now in Antioch. And the church is growing really rapidly in Antioch. So Barnabas is chosen by the apostles of Jerusalem to go to Antioch. And when Barnabas is given this mission, he immediately, he goes looking for Paul to go with him to Antioch. So just as the apostles trusted Barnabas, we see here how much Barnabas values Paul. They take John Mark who who happens to be either a cousin or a nephew of Barnabas. And early in this first missionary journey, for some unknown reason, John Mark abandons them. The Bible is silent on the specifics. Uh, Some people speculate that um, we know that John Mark's mother, uh, whose name Mary, she hosted a very important house church in Jerusalem. So um, they speculate that John Mark could have grown up in a very wealthy household And maybe he hadn't yet matured enough uh, to deal with the challenges of this first missionary journey. A few years later, when Barnabas suggests that they give John Mark a second chance, uh, Paul and Barnabas have such a sharp conflict over this, they end up going different ways, which is what Rebecca read to us. Barnabas takes John Mark off to Cyprus, and Paul takes Silas, and he goes back to the Damascus region. So early on this second journey, where they've split up, Um, of Paul's, he meets this young man named Timothy, uh, who is very well regarded by the believers in his town. And, you know, it doesn't seem like Paul really knew anything about Timothy three years ago on that first journey. But um, Paul has heard about him now. He's very well thought of. And look at what happens when someone can be used greatly by God. In Timothy's case, he gets circumcised. Paul didn't want Timothy's Greekness 
to be a stumbling block to the Jews in that region. So he gave him the special Jewish merit badge. You know, it's such a painful badge that most boys who end up getting it don't choose it for themselves. Uh, Just like there was a lot of blood shed by Jesus to save many, there was also some blood shed on Timothy's part to save some. Hebrews 9.22 actually tells us there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Paul wanted to remove every last obstacle between his team and anyone he shared the gospel with. If a team member's foreskin got in the way, he removed it. So 1 Timothy in the New Testament is that first letter that Paul writes to Timothy when Timothy has actually now been assigned to this long-term posting at Ephesus. Uh, And he's apart now from Paul most of the time. And when we read that letter, it's a letter from a mentor to a mentee. Three years later, Paul writes 2 Timothy. And you contrast the two letters, and it's more of a state of the church report where Paul is now starting to speak to Timothy more as a peer. Paul had invested in Timothy and actually many, many other young leaders. Um, I started counting, and it's about 20 people that Paul personally invested in. He personally was mentoring this next generation of leaders for the church. He even warmed back up to John Mark, the guy that started Paul's fight with Barnabas. So John Mark and Paul, it's interesting, they were finally able to reconcile at some point, like any two people in our church should be able to reconcile when they have a conflict. So Paul mentors Timothy first as a young believer, then as a future leader of a church, and he finally advises him as an installed leader of the church. All of us, we need to be doing the same. Some of us can mentor younger believers. Others of us still can shape the future leaders of the church. And some of us, on occasion, we need to be advising the leaders that we have. This is what making disciples is all about. As Paul writes in his last letter to Timothy, actually the last letter we have from Paul, he says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So this is discipleship. This is what I've called mentoring. Are you able to provide proverbs of wisdom to our young people? to our future leaders, and to our current leaders? Are you able to have those tough conversations that David was unable to have with his sons? Our church needs this from you so that we, together, we can train the next generation. And that generation can train the next generation after them. Jesus has made us new so that we can help him make others new. Let's get to work on this. Let's pass his good DNA to the next generation of the church. And I'll close this in prayer. Dear Jesus, we thank you for bringing life to us and for taking death away. We pray that your spirit will transform us into the body that you want us to be and that you use us to help each cell of your body grow and regenerate. Help us to be bold and creative in sharing the good news. Help those of us who are spiritually young or inexperienced to find a mentor. 
Help us to mature and get good experience. Help those of us who are older and more experienced to invest in these younger believers. And help us to identify good leaders for the church and to affirm them. Help us to give good advice to to our leaders. We pray that we will do all the things that you desire us to do and that you will give us the faith to be good and faithful servants. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.